0: God came down, and people were building this tower. You almost imagine this cartoon tower, some kind of Dr. Seuss tower that's mm-hmm. kind of winding up to the sky, and then big God with a white beard comes in and says, I scatter thee, you know, and you're <laughs> thinking, okay, well, kids, you're supposed to believe that, but let's let's keep moving. Well, friends, we welcome and appreciate your voice messages. Voice messages can be left at protectyournoggin.org. And some of those have been really powerful and moving to us, though often we can't play them on the air um, because the person who left them wanted to be anonymous and maybe just talk to us. Also, emails are a great way to go. But either way, if you reach out to us, we do really want to be able to respond to your questions and comments. Now, this show is all about one particular email question that relates to the ways in which we might apply the things that we talk about here at Protect Your Noggin to actual uh, religious education. In this case, it's a question from somebody who is asking a question about implementing this with respect to children's ministry within a Christian context. So stick with us. We're going to answer this question as best we can. It's not an easy one, but then again, uh, is anything worthwhile super easy? Oh yeah, it is. It's easy to do, hard to get moving on it. Kind of like jumping into a nice cold pool on a hot day. Your body, your body's a little afraid of that cold, cold water. But once you're in, ah, it feels just right. Stay with us. Let's go. Right
1: raise raise. All ahead, full.
0: All right Stacy at the cold open I mentioned the the cold water <laughs> and mm-hmm. jumping into it and it's been hot here in Southern it California has. very hot I've been enjoying my my body surfing thanks to Augie giving me a cool handboard made out of mahogany by the company the Surf Company Dutch and I got myself some good Fin fins because my churchills of 20 years uh, dry rotted and snapped as soon as I put them on and uh, i 'll tell you what body surfing has become like the coolest thing ever, and on our our Facebook page, I posted something on yoga and body surfing mm. and uh, yeah, it's a little an interesting little it's a little, little groovy movie. a little <laughs> <laughs> hippie, you know, but it but it, it really has been. So nice. It's hard to be unhealthy when you're swimming like a dolphin in that water. Well, they but were also
1: in <laughs> that video. They were also talking about uh, breathing and yeah. you know the the powerful exercise of holding your breath and making sure you take deep breaths at certain yeah. times, um, yeah. which happens all the time if you're swimming in the ocean and you're trying to, well, yeah. and you don't want to eat salt water, <laughs> or drink salt water. Obviously. So you know
0: if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna teach you how to body surf, it's not as politically driven. You know exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to get people not to drown, not to break their collarbone, not to get too messed up in the in the sand as they're getting smashed down into it. There's a clarity to the, to the task of teaching somebody to do something like that, like body surfing. So if, if I can get out there and show you some things about this particular beach or whatever, um, I know what I'm doing. What are we doing when we educate kids in Sunday school? Are we entertaining them? Are we... Are we trying to indoctrinate them? Mm-hmm. Are we just giving the parents a break? I, it's not if, always clear.
1: Sometimes it's all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I w- we would argue that if it is just indoctrination, that that won't stick with the kids.
0: Yeah. And, and
1: it yeah. can <laughs> become, it can even, you know, become very Traumatic. Yeah. Sometimes it can be abusive. Yeah. It just depends uh, on how it's done.
0: Well, that's what we're all about, but right? Yeah. We just don't do it in an authoritarian way, but that's not the only way that people can waste time, right? right. So let's get right into this question. This is from a question uh, that we got via email. We're not going to share the name.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I, in fact, I really can't read the question without okay. giving away, but I will say that, um, essentially though, that there's somebody that they're struggling with a children's, uh, coming up with a building a children's ministry program right. and there are lots of people that have been teaching a certain way for many years yep. and this person you know sort of is coming in they are you know younger and so you know they don't have all of the experience that these people that have been doing this for so long have.
0: But they also probably got a, a bunch of really great ideas or at least idealistic right. ideas from places like our podcast or, right. you know, the training that they had in college. And or so they're saying,
1: you know, how do I help change the culture of a church to be more relational and life-giving? And you start from the little ones up yeah. and, and you only have a limited time to do this. So, you know, there's um, – this person only has, you know, they're only going to be with this congregation for a year or two or whatever. And so, you know, even the people know that this person isn't going to be around. So how do you, how do you come into that, you know, and and build something that you're, that you feel good about, right. That can Mm -hmm. help, you know, definitely, uh, maybe fix some things that maybe the people didn't realize, um, you know, that are actually more hurtful than helpful. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: you know, so how do you, how do you come into a, a congregation. And, and
0: <laughs> How do you make positive changes to the educational program? In this case, again, children's ministry is in particular what's going on and in a short period of time. Correct. Now, let's just keep going back and forth because we did not answer this question quickly enough. This is, of course, right up our alley. This is, of course, what we should be able to just, you know, answer. But I, I think part of what we've experienced on this show is the idea that we started out by saying... Uh, you know, let's let's create curriculum for high schoolers to f- to kind of help them to explore the ways in which, let's say, Jesus will help them to think critically and find agency and not be easily manipulated by religious leaders. But we realized that if we just you know if we just give you protect your noggin with Jesus and you want to bring that to your high schoolers, in most cases, it it will be too spicy. Mm-hmm. It'll be it'll be. Too hard. In places where they already have that free and open conversation, they might not need that. Right. That our study. Right. You know, in places that are super uptight and controlling and authoritarian, they're going to be very uncomfortable with our study. And so right. it's going to be difficult for a youth worker or a children's ministry person to implement that directly. And so then we realized, okay, what we should do is we should go to um, – we should go to the model of saying what we're going to do is we're going to create a Bible study. Protect your noggin for Jesus is primarily for youth workers, church workers, DCEs, religious educators.
1: It's the first, the leaders first,
0: right? And so you could have like a like a staff retreat. Mm-hmm. Then we realize that's also going to go horribly wrong, <laughs> right? Because as uh, you know, as one person mentioned online, you know, if you have a a, a good number of people that are maybe. In leadership within religious circles for personal but un- unhealthy reasons,
2: mm-hmm.
0: even though most of the church workers might have really good hearts and motivations, those people that are there that are authoritarian and controlling, they're going to be uncomfortable with having the protection Your Noggin with Jesus study mm-hmm. at a staff meeting. So then I thought, all right, what this really needs to be is for a a few people to start kind of thinking this through in their own lives. Right. So here's the... Whether,
1: the, it's, a, so whether it's a parent. Parent. You know, it could be... Certainly church workers. It could be a church worker. Or a group you know. of
0: church workers that want right. to get together on this, but maybe can't do it in an official capacity. Now, listen, if you happen to be in a in a synod or a district or a denominational you know, unit or a pastor's brown bag lunch meeting, and you're willing to go through the stuff that we're talking about with Protect Your Noggin with Jesus, you're in a good place. No matter mm-hmm. how uncomfortable... And Some of their actions might have been. If they're going to allow it, that's a good sign, right? That, that they're ready to, to get better. So it's a good sign that they're open. That
1: they haven't just, you know, thought they figured it all out <laughs> and don't want to discuss anything different or from different angles or whatever. So if if you are open enough to continue the conversation, I think that you're on the right path for actually truly listening to what god is teaching you Mm -hmm. right that
0: but the that's right and the idea then though that as we move to the idea that maybe it's for these few people that can rethink education at, at the individual level maybe drawing it into a larger conversation with a few friends that you trust maybe you have some friends you went to in in college or seminary that you're close with and you can kind of do this at a distance. Maybe you're in different states, mm-hmm. but you can work through some of these materials, some of these thoughts. That's really important. There are things you can do to implement it, but make no mistake, you've got to you've got to come to terms with the reality that in most cases, you're going to have to go relatively slow, it's slower than you want. Now, there are times when you can just, completely transform the way we think about something and do it differently. But especially in the case of the person who wrote the email, you can't do it all in a contemporary like internship role. Really what a good internship does is it brings to bear stuff that you've been reading. Um, it brings stuff you've been reading to bear on the, on the practical application of church work, mm-hmm. religious teaching. And then by listening and paying attention instead of trying to just fix everything, you can build towards the future. So I would argue that the person who wrote the email should, should definitely make some changes and demonstrate and model some really good behaviors, but also focus more on really observing almost like, like this is a field research project where you're putting a little thing here and there into place that might help see how people react. And then ask people why they're reacting that way and really keeping that conversation going so that not only can you get them to be thinking about things that will maybe ferment with them for years to come, mm-hmm. asking those key questions. That's why we, that's why we love in our, in our Bible study to end with questions because those questions can haunt you for a while, right? Mm-hmm. What would you do differently if you weren't afraid of punishment and reward? Those kinds of questions take a while sometimes to, to flush out. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the, the the short answer is we we're still trying to work on how can you get into the the, the, the very basic level with the kids. We do think and we t- have some ideas. We
1: definitely do. I would also say that this <laughs> this is a big question, yeah. and even our ideas won't be enough. I think that yeah. us as a community, we all need this. We conversation. all need to yeah. put our, our our noggin's together mm-hmm. to help sort of work on this and help, you know, m- be able to create a, a different way that we do religious education, but it will take many people from with different perspectives and ideas to help actually flush this out to do it best. Yeah. That being said, I think that, and one good thing that, um, the person that emailed us had mentioned is that they did seek out the goals Of the people that were there. And I think that's an important place to start. Yeah. And one of the things I think it's good to look at when you um, are able to see what their goals are. First of all, is, is, are they actually, what they're describing to you, is it an actual goal or is it just the method with which they're teaching?
0: Are they giving you a task Without clarity on the goal. Right. Or are they giving you the goal and maybe the, the, the mechanisms by which you get the kids there are up for grabs or negotiable? Exactly. That's an important question to establish.
1: And I also think that it's important to take into consideration when you're dealing with, you know, these different age levels. the The kids are ready for different things at different times, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a time when memorization is a big key thing for that age group. And so yeah. just having children memorize stuff is great. (laughs) That's actually what they are looking forward to, but what are they memorizing is a big Mm -hmm. deal. You know, Mm -hmm. what, what verses are we pulling together? You know, if, if we're, you know, if it's always sort of the, the threat of, of, of the punishment of hell (laughs) that they're learning about, you know, you, that one, that's going to be a scarier verse for them, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're learning, you know, so what is the point of the verses that you might be having them memorize?
0: Yeah, Stacy's referring to part of the question, which was, um, you know, related to this discomfort with the idea that memorization and indoctrination seem to be the main focus. But what Stacy's saying here, and I agree, is that we don't want to too quickly... Um, combine memorization and and indoctrination in terms of the developmental phases of a child's life, it's perfectly acceptable, I would think, I think Stacey and I agree on this, Do you you agree, that memorization is perfectly acceptable if you're saying these are some things that you're going to want to remember. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're having you memorize our opinions or something like that, right? So memorizing a poem... Or memorizing a psalm, you know, or mm-hmm. memorizing a narrative is is something that can help a, a child have these intellectual tools or allusions to then draw from. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we really miss out on, I think, in our day. Um, you know, I don't want to focus too much on memorization, but the fact that I'll make allusions to biblical characters and stories and... and and turns of phrase mm-hmm. that would be familiar to many people in earlier generations familiar to people that were atheists or deists that maybe weren't, you know, fundamentalist Christians but they knew the narratives of scripture and they knew those teachings so that they could be part of the conversation mm-hmm. there was nothing wrong with that
1: right well and that and for me I'm extremely grateful for when I was younger I was given a very good like base of yeah. you know what is Christianity and some memorization and some you know real really key solid biblical knowledge of you know just sort of just literacy exactly, yeah, and I am very grateful for that, so there's nothing wrong with with that it it really kind of is when you do talk about the Bible stories, do we start to turn it into? a law that didn't exist in the story. Right. You know, it's, it's how we're telling these things that really matters.
0: Yeah. And especially, so if you're looking at children's ministry, if you're at a church and you're at a liberal or a conservative church, it doesn't matter. There's nothing wrong with having to memorize some key, key phrases. Like that's what I would, would want you to do if I'm a parent Mm -hmm. in any context. Um, For instance, if I don't do this, but if I took my kids to like a workshop on Buddhism at the local Buddhist, you know, uh, temple or something, where they're gonna they're gonna tell us what's going on. I don't want them to be just nice and have cake and ice cream. Right. I'm there to get an education on what their brand of Buddhism is, and I don't want them to try to to proselytize my kids and bring them into whatever their sect is. Mm-hmm. But I do want my kids to learn what's going on at this temple, right? I mm-hmm. mean, the kids go to you know. Uh, Field trips like this in the public schools, I think if you're, if you're a parochial school, if you're a Christian school educator, if you can swing it, I think it's a really good idea to bring your kids to religious sites that are not Christian if you're at a Christian school because it's a great field trip and mm-hmm. it's a good thing to be able to discuss stuff. But when you go on the field trip, you don't want to just have a nice you know, grand old time playing hula hoop. With some <laughs> monks in saffron robes, you want them to tell you what they're about. And you right? also
1: want to know enough about your own religious background yes. so that you understand how this is similar or different from right. your own tradition.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, like a Seder feast in any Jewish home. It doesn't matter if you're an Orthodox Jew or reformed Jew or, you know, Reconstructionist. It doesn't matter. There's something important about telling the story of the Exodus. Mm-hmm. There's, that's what the whole thing point of the, this Passover celebration and the, and the Seder feast is, it's to remember. Mm-hmm. So by all means, help the kids keep in their minds the memory. What's interesting, though, is that there's a difference between learning and regurgitating the party line and giving them the texts with which they wrestle. Mm-hmm. And and that's more of this invitation. I, I would say that the sooner... You, the, the, the sooner you can get people to be wrestling with the text, mm-hmm. even a little kid.
1: Asking to, a few simple yeah, questions. Because like, what they're thinking, you may not even realize until you start, you know, just asking a few basic questions, even with the littlest ones. How mm-hmm. are th- how are they internalizing this and what, what do they think I'm saying?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's really good that you may you know, even clarify some things before they go run off and tell mom and dad what they learned in Sunday school, right. <laughs> correct? Like and they're getting, yeah. they could be totally missing the point of what you're trying to teach, but you wouldn't know that until you hear them say things in their own words of what you're, what you're trying to say or just ask the questions to see, you know, where they're at with the material.
0: And inviting them to have an opinion about it, to inviting them to wrestle with it is a, a skill that goes along with it and is one of the skills that we, we really want to see them have. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what the text is. It could be a difficult text. It could be an easy text, but if you're inviting students to have opinions about it and to react to it in an open and, and safe way, then that's going to give them those kind of practices that'll be good for them in high school when they're reading Moby Dick, for mm-hmm. goodness sake. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you know, I, so I said, you know, if you go to the Buddha center, you'd, you'd want them to learn whatever, whatever they're going to learn. I don't want my kids to come back and just know how to put cotton on a bunny for Easter. I want them to actually know <laughs> what the narrative is of the Easter story. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in, in that sense, I do want to go back to what you were saying about the, 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 the way in which memorization at certain times in life is important. Mm-hmm. I, I encourage you, but I want your listener to make sure you're also cautious about something. And that is, I want to encourage you to check out Dorothy Sayers' essay. It's called The Lost Tools of Learning. Dorothy Sayers' essay there is very important to many classical Christian school um, curricula decisions. And that is that the classical school movement in the United States, which we've been critical about in certain areas specifically related to some kind of um problematic and authoritarian versions, or right. more white nationalist leanings of some groups, but the idea of uh, of of respecting the age levels, the idea of going back to language and understanding phonics and understanding um the great questions of of the past instead of. You know, just reading Dick and Jane. You know how to. It's not just like learning being a um, a technical skill, but it's a it's a it's a, a rich conversation mm-hmm. that goes back for you know millennia. That's great. So there's some really cool things about the the classical schooling movement, and and one of them is I think attention to this conversation from Dorothy Sayers. Now Dorothy Sayers is unpacking this aspect of the, the medieval curriculum, which usually was not for little kids, right? But she she plays with it in a way that I think is helpful. Uh, and she, she talks about part of the medieval curriculum, and it's known as the trivium. And the trivium was grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And then after that, in the Middle Ages, you would study the quadrivium, which would deal with mathematics and astronomy and music and Um, And all these things fit together. So music and astronomy fit together because it's these relations and geometry, right? These mathematical, geometrical relations. And then after that, you could study theology, which is like the highest thing with God. But when you're starting out with the kids, you're not just starting out with, you know, abstract theology. You're just getting to the basics. And that's why it's okay to do memorization at the early ages because you're not memorizing the interpretation, which is something you do in college, mm-hmm. you're memorizing the narratives, you're memorizing the basic grammar, mm-hmm. you know. Like John three sixteen for God so loved the world, whatever, like, that's, um, I'm not saying like whatever the text, <laughs> I'm saying, no. whatever the text is that is kind of foundational these texts, those are those things that then you're going to say, well, now how do I apply this, or what does this mean for my life? But Dorothy Sayers says, alright, the first stage is grammar, the second stage is logic and the third stage is rhetoric the grammar stage is like where we talk about grammar school and you're learning those fundamental building blocks of any discipline so if it's music you're learning the scales and it's not beautiful music but you're getting your fingers ready mm-hmm. and kids like to memorize mm-hmm. so let them memorize the problem is you don't want college kids to be doing a lot of memorization or high school kids they want to be doing something else then the logic stage is middle school. So if you're working with middle schoolers, you might have some memorization, but you really want to move your curriculum in churches towards that, that wrestling with stuff right. business. So they're understanding the logic. That is, they're understanding how these pieces fit together, not just the stories, but how do these stories fit together? They're, they're beginning to see the logic of maybe the systematizing Of the tradition,
1: and and we've talked about this before. But when you did teach middle school, Mm -hmm. I mean, you helped encourage this by having weekly debates, right? At the end of the week, so they were supposed to do some research, right? Come back with you know stuff to to support their their side, and you didn't always have them just support the side of their choosing, right? Sometimes they had to even sort of come up with the evidence It's for the a opposite. controversial
0: move amongst so, the rhetoricians, but it is something that we did. We put them on teams and said, you know, just argue for or against it. Often it was more like, you know, Plato versus Aristotle on the state or something. Right. But they, they did a great job because they enjoyed the argument. They enjoyed the the talk fighting Mm -hmm. the battle and they supported each other and they did their homework because they didn't want to let each other down. Right. So you this is the, this is the Tao of education friends. You just get the kids to do what they love. Don't, don't force them into the areas where they're, they're playing to like a childhood style Mm -hmm. of, of education when they should be somewhere else. And then when they get to high school, then they're starting to apply those systematized things to to a, a a conversation about something going on in their lives, right? So, uh, or or they're writing poetry about it or they're writing their own creative essay on it or they're riffing on a text, right? What does this mean for our lives? So the idea would be, and, and we kind of do this mm-hmm. and, and like in Lutheran circles where you get to the catechism and a catechism sometimes is also memorized but I think that and I know that there's a lot of debate about this in Lutheran and, and Calvinistic circles. and it, A lot of churches have catechisms, Catholics. The whole thing, if you note, of a catechism is that it's set in the question and answer mode. Yeah. So the teacher asks the question and the student comes back with the answer. And I think where we go wrong is we, we memorize that at the middle school age.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, there's things that you should memorize. Why not? Feel free. But what I think the point of the question and answer is, is that you're trying to get the students to respond, drawing from inside of themselves. What they know. Right. So like what's your – like in the, in the reformed tradition, there's this thing called the Heidelberg Catechism, which starts out, what's your only comfort in life and in death? Okay. Woo. <laughs> That's a heavy, heavy <laughs> yeah. statement. And, and the student answers. And in one way, you want the student to be able to answer roughly – the way the catechism answers it, but it's a dialogue
2: right.
0: and we can't lose sight of that middle school age dialogue. But once you get to high school, then you've got to be able to allow the students at that point to start to figure out now, how do we, how do we make sense of this for our lives? Yeah. You asked the question, right? Cause
1: what you just said was a very heavy question. You give them without having to memorize the answer, right? They can first take time. To answer to that answer question, the question. Yeah, if you're on their a,
0: own. If you're teaching this stuff. And then yeah. you can
1: say, well, and Luther's answer is right. this, right? And then mm. because they've wrestled with it for a second and maybe didn't have an answer, and it's okay if they don't have an answer, mm. right? But they've wrestled with it and they've had to really mm. think about it for a second. That will stay with mm. them longer than saying, you know, answer. This, this, and we just all yep. say it together, you know. that and, that yeah. just now, now it's like you 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 didn't even really have to think about what that question was getting at, you know, and, and you miss (laughs) the whole point.
0: Uh, Can you imagine how cool it would be if, if you were able to ask the kid, you know, the, the question, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, some, some theological question, the answer, then you open the catechism Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And then ask the question, how does your answer compare with this answer? Mm -hmm. And do you want to make any changes or do you want to? Push back against the, the catechism mm-hmm. that 's what we 're talking about right it 's not that you 're going to you know try to make all your kids heretics or let them just you know run around and smash stuff in the in the church building no it's it's inviting them to be adults and to consider this what else what else are you supposed to be doing? And, they need to own their faith if they 're going to have a faith
1: and if you are a leader uh, in this situation <laughs> is Dr. Mallinson so rightfully always is an advocate for is the yes and. And so if there is... Did you is just call me
0: Dr. Mallinson? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> call me Mr. Jeff at the home. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm saying funny.
1: though, <laughs> because I mean, you definitely do always, you know, bring this up and it's, I think it's very important when the students are wrestling with the stuff and they come up with an answer. If you just be like, oh, now you're way off. You know,
2: <laughs> I don't, they're not going to uh. answer
1: any more questions, right? They're They're done. But if you're like, Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. And let me show you something, you know, and you Mm -hmm. kind of help guide it without just, even if you think that they are completely wrong, the second you, you know, you just don't want to shut them down. You don't want to shut down that line of communication. Well,
0: and their perceptions are their perceptions. So you don't have to agree with their perceptions, but you have to honor the fact that they're telling you the truth. Now, if you think they're not telling the truth, that's okay, too. You could say, I think you're telling me what your mom wants me to think you think.
2: You know, you yeah. can do yeah. that, right?
0: But if but if somebody's got a genuine response to something, go for it. Let me give you an example. One of my favorite things is, uh, you know, I asked you know a kid like, "Well, what do you think about gender roles within the church?" And student said, "I have a certain view of the Bible that's very, um, very much, def- you know, you could define it as inerrantist, and therefore." I believe that women shouldn't be pastors, and that makes me very sad, and I don't like that. And I'm hoping that that's a misunderstanding of the text. Now, what do you make of that? Now, some church workers might say, you're a bigot because you don't believe that women— should be pastors, or you could be a conservative church worker and say, you're not a good Christian because you should say yes to the Holy Scriptures. Mm-hmm. I think that that answer is a very healthy answer. You're asking the kid to say, what are your standards for how you judge something religiously? Mm-hmm. Do you care about reason alone? Do you care about reason and, and spiritual experience? Do you have a holy text that you think is authoritative? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you care what the Pope thinks? So you just kind of put all that into the mix, and then you wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. And it's that practice that's that's really, really healthy. Now, um, let me give you another example, though, of why I think learning the narrative of the, of the tradition is really important. Um, and again, what we're really trying to do here is to say, don't think that we're saying don't ever – get the kids to kind of get their healthy square diet of the text or, or the, or the narratives or the, the, you know, what the theology is because you, you need something to deconstruct even if you want to then go about the business in high school of kind of playing with deconstructing some of the themes. Mm -hmm. But let me give you an example. Um, If you're, if you're talking about the tower of Babel, right? It, in many cases in Sunday school is this very two dimensional, kind of cartoon thing that nobody really believes. Mm. It doesn't have any of the fun of a fairy tale. (laughs) People are like, this is in conservative land. People are treating it like it's a total historical fact, but they, they talk about it in a way that they kind of want to get past it because it's another thing that's hard to believe. Like God came down and people were building this tower. You almost imagine this cartoon tower, (laughs) some kind of Dr. Seuss, tower that's Mm -hmm. kind of winding up to the sky and then big god with a white beard comes in and says i scatter thee you know and (laughs) you're thinking okay well kids you're supposed to believe that but let's let's keep moving right if you're if you're a christian a jew a muslim a non anything you know if you're atheistic it doesn't matter i tell you what one of the most legitimately real historically accurate stories in the hebrew bible is the story of the tower of babel If you don't believe that God inspired the Old Testament, stay with me. There is almost no doubt that something like this happened, right? Because it also happened in Mesoamerica. Mm. You've got these places, and I've seen these, Guatemala, Mexico City. Mm -hmm. These big civilizations will come together. There will be a plague or a famine that scatters people. Mm. We're seeing this today in Manhattan and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Joe Rogan just packed up and moved to Texas, you know? Uh, our sister moved from Manhattan out to Vermont. I mean, people are moving away from the places where there are, are literal towers. And as they do, they're kind of breaking apart and creating new communities, right? So these have these phenomena have happened time and again, and it's really weird that in Mesoamerica, you have literal towers yeah. where they had sacrificed people on the top, but then they had been dispersed, and sometimes a couple times, right? Mm-hmm. So the Aztecs didn't build those temples. The Aztecs came in to something that a previous civilization mm, had had, already done. and you get the Mayans, and they were doing the same thing, and then you go to Ur of the Chaldees, you go to the Near East, and what do you find? You find a tower an actual tower. And what were they doing? It was the Beth-el or the Bab-el. It's the gate of God. These were their temples where you're going to go meet God on top of it. And we're all going to have one centralized authoritarian dictator at the top. And that dictator is God's appointed person. And so a dude named Abraham, right, historically seems very clearly to have existed. Who's a dude who says, you know what, I'm going to take my tribe, I'm going to take my clan, and we're going to leave this scene where you've got a god king. Mm. And we're going to let God be our king directly. We're Mm. not going to have a god king, and we're going to be pastoral. We're going to have sheep, and we're going to have cattle, and we're going to have goats, and we're going to roam. And we're not going to be tied to uh, the agricultural revolution the same way. We're not going to be enslaved this way. And so... That's
1: a powerful message. It's,
0: it's not just a powerful message. It is like the message of the Old Testament. <laughs> right. It's like, get your family out of the godless Babylon. Get your family out of Egypt. Get your, like, it's always this fight between the family that is trying to follow the truth mm-hmm. and the ease in, with which the domination system can suck you in
2: mm-hmm.
0: when there's fear mm-hmm. when when the people of Israel are afraid they've got to turn to pharaoh for grain mm. and then they got to get out this is friends we like when we're talking about surfing the dow and like breaking free from from the structures of society we don't think it's easy we don't know how to do it yet <laughs> <laughs> right like you you try to break free and then they pull it pull you back in the system pulls you back in cuz there's there's scarcity out there. There's, there's people with guns. There's cartels. I mean, mm-hmm. so the point being, I want to talk to kids about the Tower of Babel. Right. I want to talk to them about where do you want to live when you grow up? Do you want to be in Manhattan, San Francisco? How are you going to afford to live there? What are you going to have to compromise in terms of your values to live in places that are expensive? What are you going to have to lose if you want to live in a rural area that's not close to the arts community? hmm if I went to Sunday school and was able to ask those questions about the Tower of Babel or to ask those questions about power and politics and God versus the state,
2: mm-hmm.
0: oh, come on. I'll go to your Sunday school, <laughs> friends. I wonder if uh, Jimmy Carter used to do that at his Baptist school. You know what I'm saying? So, so, but my point being, uh, don't just teach him the Bible. Like, Let's do this for real you know let's take this for real yeah
1: we've we've turned so much of it into cute little sunday school stories mm-hmm. that often either turn into some sort of moralizing yeah or being legalistic
0: right but make people, people feel crummy about not following their right, right ra-
1: yeah. and and you often completely miss the whole point and heart of the of the story and i think uh you know Anytime, if you are going to be teaching the children, if what it is that you're teaching, if you're able to just go in there, dive in with with new eyes, you know, yeah. not the I've heard this a, a billion times kind of eyes, right? That I can just you know spout this off, mm. like you know, is is there a little more research you can dig in to bring this? two-dimensional thing into that 3D story, you know, that, that real live thing that these are real people. They're wrestling with real issues.
0: And if a kid can talk to you about the Pleistocene era or Stegosaurus or something, <laughs> yeah. you know, if they, can, if they can talk to you about gravity and something they learned on a YouTube video when they're eight, feel free to talk to them about that question. Do you think the better place to live is like in a pasture with sheep or in a big city where there's a lot of, like, different types of jobs.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: A kid, they kids talk about this all the time. What do you want to be when you grow up, kid? I want to be a firefighter. All right. You know, you're asking these, these deep mm-hmm. kind of questions. And by the way, it's interesting. And the reason we're spending so much time on this is because we, we realize that you could listen to us and think, oh, well, now what am I supposed to do? I'm not supposed to, like, teach the kids. I'm not going to indoctrinate the kids. What do I teach them? Not only should you teach them the Bible if you're in a church— I think that you should teach the Bible in the public schools, and but I'm talking about okay. this now from the perspective of the Society of Biblical Literature. It was like 2003, oh. four, five. I can't remember exactly when, but in the aughts, the Society of Biblical Literature was was a meeting in Washington D.C. So I was there at the uh, the American Academy of Religion Society of Biblical Literature. So I was gonna, I was doing a, a paper on um, on uh, violence in the in the Caribbean and okay. the, the Florida Holy Wars uh with um with like some hist- like church historians from the Latin American world and and, and the 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 issue was all about uh, violence and um what people realized was a lot of violence came from biblical illiteracy mm. apocalyptic thinking on the part of evangelicals in the United States Apocalyptic thinking in terms of the the particular form of Islam from Ahmadinejad or who you know is in charge of, of Iran at the time in the Shiite world the uh, the concerns of um, a, a certain form of understanding of jihad the point being Christians Muslims and everybody were having to wrestle with the fact that not knowing your Bible or your your holy text and filtering it through extremist violent or bigoted people is the problem in America, right? Right, right? So like you got a bible, but what's that mean? You got a bible in the Gideon, you get Gideon's bible in your in your hotel. hotel yeah. But you know, you could open that up and use it to justify Jim Crow Jim Crow enslavement. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, "Oh, look, you know, the people of Israel were not supposed to, you know, take Philistine wives, therefore, you know, inter- interracial marriage should be criminalized here in the South, and the, here's the bible to prove it," right? So the idea is that if we could actually get better biblical literacy amongst all people, then it would be a lot easier to have sane discussions about environmental care and the end of time, mm-hmm. you know, by by saying, well, what's, what's really going on here when we talk about the kingdom of God coming? Is it the, blo- is it the world blows up or is the world gets healed? Those kind of questions at least allow students to not just say, oh, well, the Bible says this, therefore I'm going to, to follow that person's version of the Bible, right? right? So in other words, non-Christians should also want the Bible taught in schools, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a way, right? Um, As a, as a, as a, like a classical
1: text. Yeah. The first thing that came to my mind when you mentioned that though is, oh, okay, so how, who's doing this teaching? That's why we
0: probably don't do it. It's it's, it's not going to be able to be implemented, right?
1: Yeah. Because I'm thinking, you know, if, if my child came home with this really distorted view of the bible there would be a lot of unlearning and fixing or whatever you'd want to try to talk through and figure out And that's my biggest concern with you know but yes if it was able to be done correctly it makes sense
0: and i think because no one can understand how to do it correctly that's why we don't do it right so i'm not saying that it's an easy way and maybe you just can't do it just like i think we should teach the history and the formation of uh, the quran Mm -hmm. but you know, one of the things as a Christian, and I mean no uh, offense to any Muslim friends listening, I'm just, from my perspective, it seems like the Quran is 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 reminiscent of some themes in Aryan Christianity and some Jewish texts and things that I think bring together a lot of good conversation in, in the region. But if God directly dictated the Quran through Jibril, the angel, then my my discussion of the historical influences on it, is offensive theologically to some Orthodox Muslims.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Likewise, if I were to suggest that the book of Matthew seems to reflect Zoroastrian interests, some Persian interests in a final judgment and this great drama, uh, and their ver- and the version of hell that kind of seems to come up in, in Matthew has some... Some Zoroastrian flavors to it. It feels like, Now mm-hmm. well, maybe I'm wrong about that. But if I ask that question, if you're a biblical inerrantist who thinks that no, like the Holy Spirit isn't being influenced by Persian beliefs, uh, and you believe that more of like a dictation theory of the inspiration of the Bible, my teaching about that is going to be offensive. Mm-hmm. So you know, you don't want to have half the parents mad at you on uh, one day, and then half the parents. <laughs> mad, I either. understand why you don't want to do it, but at least for at least for the. The person who's worried about indoctrinating kids, no, go go deep into the text. It's a really fun thing to do, and 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 the more, I mean, people when they kind of get rid of the Sunday school mentality about reading the Bible and the Bible being a a, a, a shillelagh mm-hmm. that people use to beat you over the head with. Once you get rid of that, it's a it's a profoundly valuable text to yeah. to to really wrestle with throughout your life. You know,
1: and it is interesting because <laughs> I. I feel like sometimes with churches that they are so happy to get any volunteers to help with Sunday school. Yes, that they often aren't trained in mm. you, know, some of the like, proper theology that right.
0: So they're not they're meaning well.
1: They very much <laughs> mean well. Like, I, I can't tell you how many times in general, I've been to a, a church when hearing the, the, the children's sermon. When it's not done by the pastor and it's done by a volunteer and they're, it's going well, it's going well, it's going well. And at the end it's like, Oh, like, yeah. uh, like, I just wish you didn't just throw that part in there. Yeah, and
0: like at the end, Jesus cries because your room's messy. Yeah, and I, <laughs> like, uh, you Jesus know? is on so the cross make, because you spilled so your make soup. Make sure
1: that you make Jesus happy and, yeah. and make your bed and, and clean your room. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh no, you know, he's like, watching
0: you when, when you go poo poo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, my, my point being that it really is kind of sad that, Often we are just so happy to get somebody that will be willing almost mm-hmm. just to sit in that classroom that we aren't, you know, teaching yeah. our Sunday school leaders how how to not, you know, um, how what to avoid, right? And yes. And not bring in some of those, you know, really, uh, you know, it just it seems so easy sometimes to sum up a Sunday school lesson with yeah. a nice little cherry on top, but yeah. it just... It's not there, <laughs> I a right? Cherry,
0: yeah. Now I, there is a way around this. There is there is a simple solution because somebody's going to be listening to me. Maybe you're a uh, you know the, you're the executive on the committee for Christian education at your school mm-hmm. or your, your church, or you're a director of Christian education or a youth pastor or whatever. And you're thinking, okay, well, what do I do? I'm, I'm stuck with what I've got, right? right? I have a solution for you. We're going to get there. The first thing is you don't have to. Um, have them teach theology. That's important. Like figure out what are you teaching? It's very easy for somebody to just talk through some questions about a story and you don't have to put the bow on it. Mm-hmm. You can just get them literate. Mm-hmm. You don't have to conclude all of your wrestling with texts by the fourth grade. And so if, you're, if your pastor has a grad degree... But the Sunday school teacher is just kind of making up some platitudes. That's going to be natural. It's going to happen a lot. But maybe make sure you're aware of what it is that you're trying to um, you know, ask from the Sunday school teachers. And um, I would just say if I, if I were in a spot where I don't have a lot of time, but I want to make sure that everybody doing vacation Bible school doesn't screw the kids up worse than they came in, mm-hmm. right? I'd say the number one thing is to say, all right. I, I'm not going to be able to give you a 45-minute 45 theolo- 45 theological lecture here. So what I'm going to tell you is what is off-limits to you is any inkling of a move where you instill in the students fear of hell and hope of reward as the, as the central message. You, you, just, you just nip that in the bud. No, we are not using fear of hell or hope of reward in this week of study. As long as you do that, then you can just wrestle along. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, like play, right. with, play with the texts, whatever. That, that, that's one thing. And then this goes to the questioner message, which is here's somebody gets to a program. This happens a lot. And all it is is fun and games. All it is is Frisbee and milkshakes and silly things and then maybe a five-minute sex talk or something. But mm-hmm. no real rich stuff. Mm-hmm. And as we've already said, we think you can get rich with with five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. You can really ask them questions and, and wrestle with things. If that's true, you can do it with middle schoolers. And if that's true, you can do it with high schoolers. But right. now the questioner is right to say, isn't there more than these empty calories of the activity that's going on? Right. Unless that's the best that you really can get out of the staff that you've got. Right. And that sounds kind of condescending. No. If the staff aren't at a place where they are going to model and mentor and embody a new logic of, of grace in the lives of these children, a transformed mind, a repentance, an awoken uh, sense of God's presence and the unity of all of us in the body of Christ and the way that we are to heal our communities. If that's not their flow yet, but they love the kids, then let them teach them how to make a leather wallet. <laughs> Because the community isn't just about dogma. The community is also about the community.
1: Well, and providing a safe space. Yes. That's a huge thing.
0: There's nothing wrong with that. What you want to then attend to as a DCE or, a, or a, like a person who's looking out for all the other Sunday school teachers is to say the way that we relate to each other should be theologically informed. Who are we? We are the people of God who do not judge people based on their appearance. We love people even if they're not popular at school. The very act of having a place that is accepting, as long as it's not just you're trying to make a cult, so you can, <laughs> you know, you're like the right. place that, that captures people that are in, in desperate situation. No, being that place for people, struggling with them, in their their problems with not having people that care about them at home.
1: Yeah, with being that, a parent, with, with honest care, about yeah. their life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of young people that just, they would just love for some adult to actually care about how their week is going, what is going on in their life.
0: Play to your strengths, friends, and help people in your community to play to their strengths. And, and, and it's okay. I mean, I used to not think this. I used to just totally get angry at it. Just pizza parties and Frisbee golf. Sometimes pizza parties and Frisbee golf with people who really are trying to live out a community that is saturated in the grace of this logic of Jesus. If you're a church, you know, Christian church is a great, is a great move. Go for it. And I wouldn't have said that five years ago before I'd say, well, just kill all your, your ministry stuff and just like teach them smart things and stop being stupid. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, No, no, I don't think that's the right way to go. Um, Now, I personally would have liked something a little more academic in high school at the church group. And we did a pretty good job. But I was the kind of person who would have loved that. And I believe that there are students that you'll have that want that. So also be responsive to the kids themselves. What are they ready for, right?
1: Yeah. I was reading something in relation to like a yoga teacher training thing. And what this group did was they had this sort of abusive technique of they would, you know, have the the teachers like raised their arms for you know a super long time it was almost like a hazing kind of thing and also there was part of it where um they had them like afterwards, you know, come together and and then the leader modeled like oversharing in a way just for them to mm-hmm. tell some sort of dark secret that nobody else knows that this is like a way that it's you're... It's an old
0: school trick, actually.
1: Right. And so then they would kind of start this list of <laughs> these things on, so they would have some dirt on some of these people. But on, on top of that, there's also this sometimes just manipulative tool of you know, what kind of information can we get out of them mm. and, you know, and, and, and get them
0: comfortable being very, 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 very vulnerable, vulnerable, but in the bad sense.
1: Right. And kind of whether it's to use it for your advantage, but, or, I mean, all of it would be, but, but even just for them to think that somehow now they have some sort of obligation to this community because they now know, you know, like all these things about me or whatever, or, or it's a, a, a way to kind of quick very quickly bond, um, in a, a very deep way, which can still be done, you know, for manipulative reasons, trying to keep the group together. And I, I guess what I'm saying is, is when we are having these discussions with the kids, it's very important that certain boundaries are there, certain lines. So yes, you have open communication, but as a leader, you don't want to model oversharing, Right. I mean, yes, you can, you be real with them about, you know, some experiences in your own life, but if it becomes this emotional sort of oversharing fest and everybody's crying and all of this, that sounds a lot more cult-like. It can be. And it, so you, there is a fine line between, you know, having, creating a safe space for the students to share versus what are you doing with their sharing? And if you ruin that trust. Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, you're ruined. It's, it's over. Um, I mean, and it's really bad for their future as well. Like that, that, that will have lasting, lasting damage. Um, And so I I think we have to definitely be very careful about what our own, you know, the, the goals, right? The motivation behind some of these things and just having a, a very intimate emotional discussion isn't a sign necessarily of success it just depends on you know what you know again what's the purpose of this discussion and is it to just get them to get emotionally attached to the group or is it actually for them to exercise their mind be able to learn some of these techniques of critical thinking and working through and in turn you know what what they are internalizing and, and trying to understand what their faith does look like for them there's a a huge difference and I just want to point out that we've got to be careful in how we do this very and, good point and we have to create actual real safe spaces as well
0: we tend to sometimes riff and then we find ourselves drifting <laughs> <We'll be> riff, <laughs> riffing and then drifting yeah, uh, from no 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 I, I was doing from the from the original email but I, I want to get back to a few just real quick bullet mm-hmm. points on this one is uh, related to this question, you know, what should I do to, to change the culture? The first thing is, it is a very bad idea to do too much changes, uh, in, too many changes in the first year of anything. Now, sometimes you're going to have to put some stuff right to rest, right? Mm-hmm. There are some quick things you might want to do, but generally speaking, try to get yourself acclimated. Don't go in and be too yang about it, right? Don't try to force too many things. Try instead to do two things. One, model a different way and see if you can't get some good testimonials out of that better way. Mm-hmm. Find that kid who was clammed up, that wasn't participating, and then felt honored about being able to share their poetry or their questions or their dance or something that that honored them and let them start to blossom and then let the the church... If you're a church worker, say, wow, you're new here. What have you been able to do? Mm-hmm. Why did you, you know, or how were you able to get this student to blossom? And then you say, well, this is what I'm doing. Right. And that way you don't have to come in like a know-it-all. Just go ahead and try it all, right? right? Like Try right. the good things that you're thinking about. And then if they're successful, they'll take care of themselves. But if you go in and just say, this is wrong, that's wrong, that's never going to work. Right. Especially if you're young. You're probably right
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they're going to receive it. So that's that's one thing. A couple other important tips or some things I I think are important. Um, there's a lot of concern, especially in our world of Lutheranism, about where to preach nagging, or mm. <laughs> that's that's not the way to say it. Uh, where to preach the law? You know, mm. where to come down on the heavy. Uh, And and, and good works and that sort of thing. And there are some people who think that you should preach the law to make people feel sad and then the gospel to bring them back up. Then the question is, do you bring the law in at the the end to apply it to life? And I have argued, and I'll link to the, the text of this, that the best place to teach ethics isn't to list off a bunch of rules. That's not very helpful. And certainly don't do a sermon where you're just reiterating the rules. Or stating the rules louder. Mm-hmm. In fact, what I think the, that a good sermon would do in a Christian context is to wake people up, help them come to their senses about reality, about the beauty of unconditional love, and then let that play itself out. But where does it play itself out? That's not the end of education.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In fact, it, you know, for Lutherans, a lot of times Lutherans will say there's part of this performance in a good sense. There's like a, like a dramatic aspect of this a church service. But then there's also other things like what you do with the youth program. Now, the youth program could then be where you nag people. But I don't think that's where it goes either. I've, I've actually come to a place where I think more activity is is okay in the programming because what you're demonstrating there is the the life of that community that's informed by the narratives of the scriptures, mm-hmm. the, the, this, this insight about love, the insight that all human beings are our brothers and sisters, that there's no Jew or Greek slave or free male or female, that logic of, of unconditional love then gets played out in our community together and then in the things we do, okay? So I think more service projects, that said, caveat, please don't do a trip where you lead a bunch of white suburban kids to do patronizing service uh, for projects (laughs) in in primarily black communities or something where you just come in, you don't have a relationship, you don't build trust, you paint something, you come save the day and you go home.
1: Right. Which is usually some sort of exercise in team building more than it really is about serving the people (laughs) that, you know, for reals, like it's, how how do we build together as a community and accomplish this task together? You really want to just, be there with, with the people that you are serving and and learn about their story and serve
0: together and serve
1: together. Right. It's not, you know, if you're coming in as the upper hand and here, I'm giving you all these handouts. I mean, Mm -hmm. people don't appreciate just often, you know, there's a lot of people that it's like, Oh, you know, thank you for your handout. But if you really think that that's, what's going to help, you know, so that they now, you know,
0: you fixed everything there. Yeah.
1: Like, oh gee, they're really, you know, I'm really feeling like they they're got it here with the gospel. You know? Yeah, they're going no. to convert
0: to my version <laughs> of religion. Yeah, you know
1: they might. You know, great, I got free food. Yeah, you know, but it There's, wasn't modeling. Yeah, the the way of Jesus
0: create those opportunities for relationships mm-hmm. and relationships that are informative back to the kids that maybe are going to understand other contexts better, mm-hmm. right? So that's a great learning experience. Um, do participate in this idea that these, even these Sunday school kids are part of the tikkun olam, the repairing of the world, right? Like, mm-hmm. be a part of that. Building, not just doing good works to get points in heaven, but to really experience what it looks like to love people that you didn't know right. the week before. I'd
1: also, I'd also argue that Even, okay, so the projects that you, maybe the service projects that you are going on or whatever, you know, and how you're doing that, that matters. The music that you're singing, what are the lyrics to the songs? And, you know, have you ever really thought about how that comes across and whether it's, you know, whether the theology is is a theology of glory or Mm -hmm. if it's just, you know, if it's, anyway, does it fit with your religious tradition and Mm -hmm. and what you should be teaching? Because the songs are powerful uh, teaching moments because they stick in your head mm-hmm. <laughs> and you'll sing those verses over and over again. And one thing I really did appreciate with our um, church when we were in high school, <laughs> I know you, you were a big part of it actually as you were helping to come up with some of the songs, but a lot of what we sang actually were just verses. They yeah. were scripture verses. Yeah. And so now I have another tool for you that memorization, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, rather than, you know, I, I don't know, Jesus is, you know, you know, I dug down deep and found pure gold or something like that yeah. on one of those lines, you yeah. know, be careful what we're, what we're singing. Yeah, I'm
0: not going to hell because I'm good on the inside or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, just thinking about it, making sure all of that's, that's all kind of lined up with what you actually want to teach. A couple other things. Please don't make all of your games be kind of latent sexual oh, um, gosh, yeah. flirtations, you right. know. Right. Um, there's some of those games that are a little, like, and I'm not like, I'm not a prude. I'm just saying, don't, don't use that, of, that
1: flirtiness yeah, as a draw yeah, be, for your Be, be your cool, kids be
0: cool. Come. And then uh, finally, uh, don't, don't let those those programs be about hazing. This is not so much children's Mm -hmm. stuff, but more like high school and middle school. You know, there's somebody in my family who stopped going to church after, you know, he or she said, is every week going to be something where they, they give me a marshmallow with mustard in it, or I sit down on an electrocuted, you know, bench. Is this, is this like a frat?
1: Right. Right.
0: And that sometimes can happen. I mean, just, you know, model. The point is model in every aspect of what a church does. For a Whatever your religious space, community space, a welcoming
1: yeah. community, you know, the, you know, how, <laughs> I don't want to say what would Jesus do? Yeah,
0: well, I know. <laughs> but, I think, yeah, I would say before, that, yeah, you know, yeah, But
1: there is that, you know, Bring the real. children unto
0: me and let's take them seriously. And that's what they say C.S. Lewis did. That was so well. We we met the gardener at the Headington Quarry Church where C.S. Lewis went and we talked to him about Lewis and he said that, uh, that, that one of the things that was most remarkable is that he always would talk to kids at the church as mm. if they were people.
1: Yeah, they're, they are people, yeah. you know, Yep. When we're educating, um, you know, often even, say, the colleges, you have to, you know, go through accreditation. They see what, you know, what's going on with your programs. Then also you're speaking to the alumni and figuring out what they are doing. And if your alumni can't get jobs and you're just, you know, then it's not worth it. So I guess we do that in so many different other areas. But we don't, in our church, we don't evaluate our own programs often. We don't touch, you know, if, if people have left, you know, I don't know, where are those people and why did they leave? And, you know, or if, if you see that the youth, you know, they, they stayed strong in the church, then I think you're doing something right. You know, look at what are the results of your confirmation program? Uh, Not that, you know, you only want to be results driven, but it is important for us to get in touch with some of these folks and find out where they're at. Did, what I was hoping to happen with the goals that I had for them, is that really what they walked away with it? Or did they, you know, did they learn something else? And then now, you know, do they want nothing with, you know, from the church? And if so, why not? Because let's not keep doing that. Let's make sure we fix it. So I would encourage you, if you can, to to look at who's not there or who is still there and what they liked about it or didn't like about it. And, and, and use that as a tool because that might be, That might be the first steps that you can to make a case, if you need to, that we should change some things. Because I don't think the pastor will argue with what you're finding out from some of their folks. They just may not be aware of it. And sometimes we're afraid to find out. (laughs) Anyway, I just hope that that with one of your goals, it could just be helping to share some of that deep peace upon peace with all of those ones that you're in charge of. Thank you. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends.
2: But he said that wasn't any letter. He
0: said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter no too much.